Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Appreciate Mike Maniscalco being here yesterday. I was out doing research for the upcoming SAS Championship, Prestonwood Country Club in Cary. We did have an outstanding golf outing, Darren, as I did some deep dive research as the legends of golf descend on the state of North Carolina once again next week. We're going to be doing a live show from PNC Arena this Thursday to celebrate the Carolina Hurricanes opening night for the hockey season. We're going to be doing a live show from Prestonwood Country Club next Friday, a week from this Friday because the legends of golf are back for the SAS championship in Cary. One quick note, as we invite your calls on the NFL weekend that was and the college football weekend that was, we do have Canes tickets to give away a little bit later. Rod Brindamore joins live, the head coach of the Hurricanes, in about 90 minutes. Jordan Rodriguez later this hour on the NFL and the 2-2 two and two Panthers. I have a question of the day for college football fans and for Panthers fans. Jordan Rodriguez in 30 minutes, I will let you know now that star defensive tackle K1 Short was placed on injured reserve. He, remember, missed the Houston game among the ailing, along with Cam Newton for the Panthers. Short has a partially torn rotator cuff. More on that story and its repercussions as Jordan drops by a little bit later this hour. The NFL question of the day through the Panthers' 2-2 two and two start. Do you feel better or worse about their playoff chances compared to whatever you thought back in August and why? A lot has changed, right? Cam Newton's hurt. Kyle Allen's 3-0 as an NFL starter. Christian McCaffrey looks like one of the best running backs in the entire NFL, but the offense didn't look all that good otherwise against the Texans, even in that victory. They're 2-2. Two two. They're in the mix. They host Jacksonville next. They get the Buccaneers in London after that. They have an open date. They certainly have a shot have a shot at a playoff appearance once again. You can chime in on that with your questions or comments about the Panthers, 1-800-849-2761. It was a low-scoring but nevertheless important victory over the Texans in Houston. The college football question of the day, and you can chime in with questions or comments about your favorite team. The Tar Heels came close but no cigar against Clemson. Wake Forest is 5-0 and after the win at Boston College. They have an open week, then they host Louisville and Florida State back-to-back, -back, and then they have another open week. It's a really unusual October schedule for Dave Clawson and the Demon Deacons. Could they really be 9-0 and heading to Death Valley later this season? It's possible if you think about that lineup. We'll be there with the big tailgate tour in Winston-Salem when the Seminoles come to town in a couple of weeks. Duke smashed Virginia Tech in Blacksburg 45-10. to Has Justin Fuente of the Hokies replaced Willie Taggart of the Seminoles on the ACC hot seat? Meanwhile, credit to David Cutcliffe. His Blue Devils, yes, got crushed by Alabama, but have looked really, really good since then and look like they belong, perhaps, on the top tier behind Clemson in the ACC. NC State went to Tallahassee and lost while using three different quarterbacks, 31-13 to to the struggling Seminoles. Your questions and comments are welcome there. They have three cupcake wins. They have two ugly road losses to West Virginia and Florida State. State also has an unusual October, by the way. Open this week, host Syracuse on Thursday night of next week, then at Boston College, and then another open week. So you have five games in November, but only two games in October. Where will that record stand as the calendar turns a month from now? 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket to the program. App State joins Wake Forest among the ranks of the unbeaten as there are 18 left at the FBS level. 
you can jump in on those football matters since I was not here yesterday and did not get to play best and worst of the weekend with you. The broader college football question of the day is really a national one. Is Clemson one of the four best college football teams or not? They came close against the Tar Heels, who remember are only two and three. Despite impressing in a whole lot of ways, they have a losing record. My answer to that question is yes, given holes on others' resumes. But no, that Clemson offense does not look like what we saw when the Tigers won two of the last three national championships. There's still time for Dabo and friends to figure that out. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. The state of California yesterday signed into law the Fair Pay to Play Act. And I know many of you have questions and comments on this as well. You can chime in now at 1-800-849-2761. The Fair Pay to Play Act is definitely not, N-O-T, not, requesting universities to pay their athletes directly. Not star players, not only in some sports, not at all. That is like a Rubicon. That river ain't being crossed anytime soon. But this California law, while not being that, is a direct attack on the NCAA's longstanding and current amateurism model, right? These guys are amateurs. The professionals get a lot more because they're professionals. There are a lot of arguments for why college sports wants to cling to its current model. It makes them money, right, at the expense of the labor in many cases is a big part of that argument, although not the one that they make most vocally, as you'd imagine. What does this new California law mean? What does it not mean as we come to your calls and look forward to those two great guests? Let me start here. Darren, would you have any idea the size of the state of California? Because it does not matter in the next year what this law says. It does matter even in the longer term, even though this new California law, as it is written, does not kick in until 2023. That's very important as one of your most immediate takeaways. Why would they write it that way? It's a little bit of a complicated answer. Maybe I'll get to it as we welcome your calls. But do you have a sense of the size of California? Because the size of California, I think, matters when it comes to getting the NCAA's attention. As Tony Barnhart said, the NCAA is officially on the clock. There is a state with a lot of member universities, Pac-12, right, but also Mountain West and others. Of course, the NCAA, nobody really wants a world where athletes in California are allowed to take money from third parties. You know, the shoe or apparel company is a typical example, or a video game company is another example. Under current amateurism rules, if they take that money, they're ineligible. They're not allowed to play. Under this California law, starting in 2023, if you run any of these California universities and you prohibit those college athletes from striking deals with whatever, with those examples, shoe apparel companies or the video game companies or even just Bob's Tractors wants to put you on a billboard to advertise Bob's Tractors and you take money for that, right? Those universities can't violate California law. They don't, they're not going to do that. California law does, in this context, supersede NCAA rules. So these California universities are saying, wait a minute, you're painting us into a corner here. If we stick to NCAA rules, we're violating California law starting in 2023. But if we 
stay true to new California law, we're going to run out of eligible athletes, at least the ones that start taking money. And then what if the NCAA tells us, well, you're not invited to our championships anymore? Or maybe you're kicked out of the NCAA entirely. Now, nobody thinks it'll come to that, and I don't believe it will either. But just as a quick starting point, have you ever been to California by any chance? I have not, actually. Right. But I do know that, I mean, geographically, physically, it's one of the largest states yes. within the U.S. And population-wise, it's got to be top two or three at least. We're one of the ten most populous states in the nation here in North Carolina with more than 10 million people, okay? California has four times our population. Four North Carolinas. That's a big state now, all right? Meanwhile, this is a just, just a fun fact for you to put some perspective behind why it matters that it's California with not only those people, but all of those schools, including some in the Power Five. If California were its own nation, it would be the blank largest economy in the world. Seriously. You want to take a guess? Is it top ten? That's what I would have said. The answer is it would be fifth. <laughs> the United wow. States, China, Japan, Germany, and then California. That would be next. So there's money behind this. There's power behind this. There's philosophy behind this. Why should the schools keep making the money now that it's a multi-billion dollar industry? This wasn't as much of a philosophical question 30, 40, or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Why? Because there was no exploitation factor. Nobody was making enough money to say that the stars, especially in football and basketball, are being exploited in some way, right? Well, now it's a mega-billion dollar industry. And now the philosophical argument has been made for quite some time. And whereas the NCAA has tweaked its model many times and come up with different funds for needy athletes, et cetera, in many sports, cost of attendance adjustment today puts thousands of dollars in all these athletes' pockets that were not there even five years ago, much less 15, 25, or 50 years ago. So the money keeps growing. But the amateurism model hasn't grown quickly enough to keep up. I think we can all say that's fair. It matters that it's California. It matters that Pac-12 schools are there. We're not going to end up with this weird system where states go one by one and make up their own rules. What are athletes allowed to take? What are they not allowed to take? And then the NCAA is in this quagmire. The NCAA is also not kicking anybody out over this issue. You're either going to have the NCAA internally come up with its own proposal that is more like what California is proposing, or you're going to have the United States Congress adopt federal legislation. So it's truly a nationwide approach to the NCAA amateurism model. You're not going to see it piecemeal. Oh, well, wait a minute. You can hear the coaches already. Oh, no, I can't let the California schools start opening the door to third-party money because then if it comes down to my school and their school, those star players are all going to go to UCLA and Southern Cal and these other California schools or whatever states may adopt similar laws moving forward, right? Can you imagine? Oh, if South Carolina has this law, one more reason Dabo's going to get all the recruits that may be considering State Carolina, Duke, Wake, or somebody else, right? Can you imagine that? It's, it's not a level playing field as it is, but that's an even more chaotic, unlevel playing field for new reasons than what we're used to in the past. California wrote into this law 2023 as the enactment time. Do you know why? Their own universities don't want to be in the crosshairs. 
they are serving a state that has large universities and mega million dollar athletic departments where they're saying, don't make us the guinea pig. I've got to really decide whether I'm going to violate NCAA or California state law or get kicked out of the NCAA or have players now making money from third parties being told you may not be able to participate in the college football playoff or the NCAA basketball tournament because you're no longer eligible. You're no longer an amateur in the eyes of the NCAA. These schools don't want to be that guinea pig, and that's why the law was written this way. It is a shot across the bow of the NCAA. It is a warning signal that we know our history and that you have only done the right thing, NCAA, most of the time when forced to do the right thing. What is the master's line? The guy who ran the master said, well, we're going to change, perhaps according to societal, societal mores, but we will not do so at the point of a bayonet, right? Well, we might, oh, you know, we might eventually get around to admitting black or women members, but we ain't going to do it while you're threatening us, man. We're a bunch of rich white dudes in the South, and nobody tells us what to do. So, yeah, they did change, but they defiantly said we're not changing because you're demanding that we change, right? Well, the history of the NCAA is that occasionally they do it just because it's the right thing. Far more often, the bigger changes happen at the point of the proverbial bayonet. That's how it happens. California realizes this. The NCAA has been talking about these issues for, I would say, more than a decade. I've been at this for 33 years. And as the money kept growing, these conversations kept coming up. Lately, it's really ramped up. But... Does California believe the NCAA will get this concept across the finish line without, you know, a little nudge in the form of a new California law signed yesterday or congressional action eventually that would give a federal blueprint rather than the state-by-state type chaos? The NCAA is going to fight this. It has no incentive for a fast track, so who knows? It might be 2023 before we have an answer. It has a constitutional argument that what California is doing is illegal. I won't get into those details because I still have nightmare flashbacks to law school after all these years. But they have a commerce clause argument, Darren. Did you bring all of your thick law books to class today? There's a commerce clause argument that the NCAA is going to make that they have won in other contexts in other lawsuits where California is not allowed to mess with us this way. That's, that's the really dumbed-down version. And the NCAA, again, did win in other contexts that argument. Your law is unconstitutional as it applies to our nationwide enterprise, the NCAA. So they're going to fight it in the courts. And as we speak, there is a 19-person panel, committee, if you will, appointed by the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, that has been asked to study exactly these issues. Guess when their proposal is due out later this month, now that the calendar has turned to October. It is a huge shot across the bow. College sports will change as you know it. The NCAA does not want to do this. To this point, every extra dollar athletes have gotten is in some way connected to education. The most recent the athletes we see at our media days are now getting three, four, five thousand dollars more than the athletes of five years ago because of the cost of attendance adjustment. Well, that's hinged. That's connected to education. It's not a purely athletic matter, right? And the courts have generally accepted that. 
when you abandon amateurism, that is not similar to the tweaks that we have seen over the last 33 years of my covering college sports. That is a sledgehammer to the model or closer to it rather than a tweaking along the way. I've seen dozens of tweaks allowing third parties to pay athletes, whether it's Jim Bob's tractors or, you know, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour or the video game companies. That is a bridge that the NCAA has resisted crossing repeatedly. They don't want it. They believe you start becoming professional sports even if you only go that far and you're still, again, in this proposal, in this California law, you're still not paying the players directly. In the eyes of many, this at least makes it cl more fair. This gets it closer to something the colleges can still live with because the money's coming from third parties, not them. And the colleges will accept only because... They have to. In the court of public opinion, they must respond. Maybe in front of the United States Congress, they have to respond. And now that California's law has passed, they have to respond to what happens if in 2023 those California athletes start taking third-party money and perhaps by then other states allow similar things as well. We're not going to get to that point. The NCAA is now on the clock, as Tony Barnhart said, is it going to change? Yes. How is it going to change? The next step is what this proposal says that this committee has been researching for many months. How alike, how dislike, dissimilar is it to the California law? Will, will the college sports world as you love it and know it change in the next year? No. Must it change between now and 23, 2023? Yes. In what ways it's going to change remains up for significant debate. 1-800-849-2761. Jordan Rodrigue on the NFL and the Panthers later this hour. My biggest takeaways from the Panthers' victory over Houston and their 2-2 two and two start. More on the college football weekend that was. And your questions and comments on California's new Fair Pay-to-Play Act. They are challenging the NCAA's amateurism model. Third-party money. They are opening the side door for athletes to take more from more people for their name, likeness, image, etc. There are also some federal proposals out there that would make it a na national blanket, uh, nas nationwide change. 1-800-849-2761. Jared wants in from Raleigh. Gary wants in from Wilson. You can call us from the mountains to the beaches or anywhere you'd like to live in between. I have several pairs of Carolina Hurricanes tickets to give away today. Rod Brindamore joins us live next hour. Jordan Rodrigue later this hour on the NFL. Your phone calls on the other side, 1-800-849-2761. A furniture salesman is offering full refunds to many of his customers if and only if their favorite team wins the World Series. Same dude on a recent and somewhat similar Super Bowl example lost $9 million when his version of the wrong team won that big football game. The money quote for him back then was, I thought my wife was going to divorce me on that one. Same guy has a new Your Mattress Might Be Free proposal involving the baseball playoffs. That story and your phone calls are next. I would never be so competitive, so childish, that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four ties, <laughs> not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.
Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Jared and Riley once in on the Panthers. Question of the day. Through Carolina's 2-2 two and two start and after that win over the Texans in Houston, do you feel better or worse about their playoff chances and why? Hate to throw a wet blanket over the positive news of the weekend, but KK Short being placed on injured reserve, quick reminder of how those rules work, he's done for the season. One of your highest paid players and one of your best players will not appear in a Panthers uniform again this season. Now remember, he is signed you know, 80 million plus over five years. He is signed through 2020 and 2021. One more reason the Panthers would perhaps be a little bit more careful with his partially torn rotator cuff. It was announced earlier today that they had made this decision. Uh, the general manager, Marty, Perny, Marty Herney, said KK has done everything he could possibly do to try to play these last two games, but we've made the decision that's in, in the best interest long-term of KK and the team that he undergo surgery to fix his shoulder and focus on his rehab and get ready for next season. Quick reminder, the Panthers beat the Texans because of their defense. Period. Now, that was without K.K. Short. He was already out with this shoulder issue. Kyle Allen's a fun story. Christian McCaffrey is an amazing running back, and they got enough done offensively to beat the Texans in Houston. But Ron Rivera's new defense was the difference as the Panthers went from 0-2 to 2-2. Kyle Allen deserves a lot of credit for the win over the Cardinals. The Panthers won against the Texans despite Kyle Allen continuing to turn the ball over and the Panthers' offense consisting mostly of the brilliance of Christian McCaffrey and not a lot more than that, as you ponder where they go defensively without K.K. Short, remember, Gerald McCoy is still there. The youngster Vernon Butler, that some wondered whether he'd even make the team, did make a big play, a strip sack of Deshaun Watson that Eric Reed recovered late in that game. Huge play, probably his biggest play in a Panthers uniform after being a first-round pick but mostly a bust to this point. He's going to play a lot more now that K.K. Short is out. Maybe F.A. Obata as well. It's Don Terry Poe as the supersized fire hydrant immovable object in the middle. He's backed up by Kyle Love. His body is somewhat similar. On the outside in this new 3-4, Gerald McCoy is one starter. And then Vernon Butler is probably going to be K.K. Short's replacement. Mario Addison, Brian Burns. Uh, Bruce Irvin, now that he's finally back as a free agent signee from his injury issues, he made a big play against the Texans and shows some speed still at his advanced age on the outside. Christian Miller, uh, Jermaine Carter Jr., one of the backup linebackers. All those guys are making plays. Ron Rivera's defense is working after those offseason tweaks. And if you, look, if you looked at the entire NFL, the best defenses in this league right now would be the Patriots, the Bears, the Vikings, the Titans, and I'll say Sean McDermott's Buffalo Bills. Those are the five best defenses statistically in the NFL right now. The Panthers are on the short list to join that group. They're already top 10. They might get better. We'll see without K.K. Short. But they're confusing opposing quarterbacks. Kyler Murray's only a rookie, but Deshaun Watson is not. And he was sacked a lot, not just because he has a patched-together offensive line, but because he held the ball so long. I mean, it's great to get sacks, and those guys all deserve credit. But Ross Cockrell was defending well downfield in the absence of the injured Dante Jackson at one corner. James Bradbury blanketed DeAndre Hopkins for the most part. Hopkins was targeted eight or nine times and only had five catches for 40 or so yards. That's James Bradbury stepping up to the plate as the Panthers' best corner. 
when Deshaun Watson is either confused by what he sees or doesn't find guys open thanks to that coverage downfield, yeah, he's either going to scramble or he's going to hesitate or he's going to try to stretch the play out. The Panthers are making quarterbacks pay for that this year after being 27th in sacks a year ago. They're number one tied with the Patriots this year. Jared is in Raleigh and once in on the Carolina Panthers. Go right ahead. Hey, DG. Thanks for taking my call. Sure, man. What's on your mind? So um, I'm just kind of wondering. Um, I'm starting to get a little concerned about McCaffrey's long-term health. Yeah. And I'm wondering what, what, are, what do you think are some reasons why they wouldn't even just give a play or two to another running back on the team? Because I know we have some talent back there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it comes down to the fact that they were 0-2 and staring you know, a ditch that would have been so deep in the face that the playoffs were out the window. And to be real about it, Ron Rivera is coaching for his job in the eyes of many people. Norv Turner, the offensive coordinator, is coaching for his job. When you start 0-2 and somebody tells you, hey, did you know if you start 0-3 in this league, you almost never make the playoffs? Well, you are coaching in a way where secondary goals, like, man, we need to get Christian a little bit more rest this year. His numbers were off the charts last season with, you know, most highest percentage of snaps on the field, highest usage rate for a running back. That's a secondary goal, right? Winning games is a more important goal. I think secondary goals fall by the wayside often when the so-called bullets start flying. And if you're in a close game against the Arizona Cardinals with your season on the line, you're not giving Christian McCaffrey any any rest. And if you're having trouble moving the ball, which they did against the Texans, this is a low-scoring game that they ended up eking out. You don't feel like, you know, Reggie Bonifon or Jordan Scarlett can give you what Christian McCaffrey can give you as a threat to defensive game plans as a runner but also as a receiver. So it's on their mind. They talk about it every week. You, like, your concern, Jared and Raleigh, is actually shared by the Panthers' front office and coaching staff. But push comes to shove, you might need one play. And in fact, this is why they do this. If you saw the game, was there anything more amazing than Christian McCaffrey's tipped ball to himself? Did you see that play? I mean, you're deep in your own territory. It was a little bit of an inaccurate throw by Kyle Allen, just in the right flat, not a long throw. Should, you know, need to be more accurate with those. 95 times out of 100 or more, that ball falls to the ground. It's an incompletion, and the Panthers have to punt deep in their own territory. Instead, Christian, I mean, it was almost like the guy was a musician. He tipped it to himself while falling forward several times, catches the ball, and then skids on his belly far enough forward before, be, before being touched that he got the first down. Like, that's almost a mystical type play. Like, is Harry Potter in the neighborhood? Has he been talking to McCaffrey lately? That was crazy, wicked, weird, like defying the laws of physics almost. But, in a game you barely win, one conversion can be the difference between winning and losing. And Christian McCaffrey, man, he is at the point where he is one of the elite running backs in the NFL. Obviously, if you use the dual threat category, he quickly goes to the top. But even in the more general sense, how many running backs give their teams more than what Christian McCaffrey is giving the Carolina Panthers right now? Receiving yardage, rushing yardage, high football IQ. Man, they're asking him to do everything except sell programs at halftime, and he's doing it all well. So I don't think he's – if he gets rest, it's because, you know, the Panthers get a nice lead over the Jaguars this Sunday. Or, 
you know, they're against the Bucks in London the next week, and maybe they get a revenge game against Tampa, which beat them earlier this season and looks better than we thought in the preseason, given that Tampa just beat the Rams. They're, your question is on their radar. It's just not going to change until the Panthers get a little bit more breathing room in one of these matchups. Jordan Rodriguez covers the Carolina Panthers for a living and does so well for TheAthletic.com and The Athletic Carolina. I am also a contributor to that website, but that is not why I, in- I invited Jordan Rodriguez to rejoin us. What all went into Eric Reed's emotional day on Sunday as he faced his brother, a Texans player, for the first time at the NFL level? Where do the Panthers go from here now that K.K. Short is out for the season because of that shoulder issue? What is next for Ron Rivera's Panthers? We'll talk all things NFL and a whole lot of Carolina with Jordan Rodrigue next on the David Glenn Show. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Rod Brindamore, head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, who opened their regular season Thursday at home against the Montreal Canadiens. Rod's going to drop by live in less than 60 minutes. We also have tickets to give away to Caniacs, whether you want to be there Thursday night for the opener or this Sunday, another home game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. More on that later. Joining us now, as promised, Carolina Panthers and NFL beat writer for TheAthletic.com and The Athletic Carolina, an outstanding website to which I am also a contributor. It is an all-day, every-day endeavor for Jordan Rodrigue, who joins us now. Jordan, welcome back to The David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? Doing really well. Before we dive into the 2-2 two and two record and the win in Houston, uh, I want to ask you about Cam Newton. He opened up about his injury since the last time you joined us. And you wrote an article entitled, We Helped Create Superman. Now it's time for us to give him some peace. Uh, What all went into those sentiments as Cam shared his own sentiments on video? Well, I think we learned a lot from that video. Uh, A lot of it, too, had to do with um, kind of the, the questions that have been circulating pretty rapidly around, you know, social media and, and, you know, externally as well. Um, You know, who knew what, when did they know it, that kind of a thing. And and Cam Newton opened up and he said, you know, I I tried to hide the injury, um, though he did also say there was he had an obvious limp um, in practice in week one as he was kind of preparing for the Rams. So I wanted to kind of pose those questions in the column that I wrote. Um, you know, did did someone notice that they asked him if he was okay? While also really focusing on the big picture here, and that is, it's a it's a rarity. Um, we only saw it very briefly when Cam checked himself out of the Hail Mary attempt um, last year. You you see it only very briefly that a that a player can kind of overcome the the culture of of toughness of. Um, having to be okay um, and if you're not okay if you don't uh, pretend you're okay you're not a good teammate um, and kind of overcoming what that culture has become in the NFL to step back and say I am not okay right now and I need to take some time and I think we um, on the outside are so used to him just always being okay uh, whether he truthfully was at that time or not um, always kind of you know, being able to to take these really brutal hits more more so than any other quarterback in history, and 
kind of bounce up and, and you know, make his first down point or bounce up and, and do his Superman gesture. And um, I think that we we kind of fueled that, whether it's the media, whether it's, you know, fans, whether it's um, the culture of the NFL itself, which was the huge focus here. Um, you know, I think we kind of fueled that Superman motif and that mantra. And so sometimes a player might feel like he can't say he's not okay because, that would be dispelling the notion that we have built of him um, over the last several years. And so I can understand a little bit of the complicated um, ment- mental part of it. And, and it, very was, it was very clear that, you know, he really just wanted to directly address fans, speaking directly into the camera, and, and directly address people who were having questions about his Liz Frank. And I thought he was extremely candid, and that was refreshing. I think there are still questions to be asked, um, and, and obviously he has given – his own timeline of perhaps up to six weeks um, as he tries to rehabilitate the injury. Um, But I thought it was really cool how he made a point to also say, you know, I believe in Kyle Allen. I'm going to help him as much as I can. And I believe that my teammates and my coaches will have, um, you know, this team in great shape by the time the keys get handed back over. Jordan Rodriguez is joining us. Follow her on Twitter at Jordan Rodriguez. Find her work at theathletic.com and theathletic.com. Carolina. It was an emotional day for Eric Reed. He made some big plays, but also spent his first NFL Sunday as an opponent to his safety playing teammate. What all went into that extravaganza? Because most people think of Eric Reed either as the guy who knelt next to Colin Kaepernick or the guy who's become a very good safety for the Panthers and others uh, since then. Um, I know you wrote about it. Uh, What can you share with us about it? Well, it was pretty special to watch. And I think because Eric let us all in on this incredibly impactful and kind of, um, you know, landmark moment for him. And that was being able to share a football field with his brother for the first time. Now, this family, um, Eric and his brother, Justin, and, and their two siblings and their parents, they are all so close. And they are just this incredibly gifted family, um, you know, on and off the field. They both are just you know, Eric and Justin are such bright people. And so for them to kind of be able to express how impactful this day was before, you know, leading up to the game, add some humor into it, um, you know, the big brother, little brother, sibling rivalry mentality, but also at the end of the game to just be so, um, just so supportive of each other and, you know, locked in this big hug and um, exchanging jerseys. And then, you know, I, I got the shot of Eric um, walking into the locker room and Eric had hurt himself. Uh, he twisted his ankle up when he dove on that fumble um, at the end of the game to kind of seal the game in, in that regard. And he had twisted his ankle up and then, you know, went back into the game and ultimately ended up, you know, jumping ahead taller than anybody else to bat down that that Hail Mary attempt at the very end of the game and gets the exchange jerseys with his brother who means more to him than, you know, just about anybody else in the world. And then, you know, limps to the locker room and, and gets to carefully fold this jersey up in his locker and then goes into a boot. And just the roller coaster of, of that day for him. Um, it was a really special thing to see. And I think he he um, is the heart and soul of the defense in a lot of ways, or at least a, a big part of it. And I think um, he really showed his teammates something and really was there was their adrenaline line um, on Sunday. Statistically, the Houston Texans entered last Sunday's game as one of the top maybe half a dozen uh, in the league offensively. 
And yet the Panthers held them to 10 points on their own field, despite playing without KK Short and Dante Jackson, two of their 11 starters. What did you make of that performance against the Texans? What went right for Ron Rivera's kind of revised 3-4 type defense? And where do the Panthers go from here now that they know K.K. Short is not only on IR, but that's a five-year, $80 million man who's not going to be helping the Panthers at all the rest of the season because of the way the IR rules work? Yeah, you know, and that's a tough loss for them. But I think they can, um, you know, maybe not feel like their season is is ended uh, because of what they were able to do on Sunday. And to me, what I saw was it was um, a really well-complemented blend of preparation, um, of a really versatile um, and creative rush, and great coverage. And I think that in terms of them being prepared, um, they, they knew they had Bill O'Brien's number. I mean, he wasn't throwing out something on them that they – didn't already know was coming, including their trick play that Ross Cockrell, um, you know, countered perfectly. He, he didn't even, you know, budge for a second on that play when um, we had seen the Panthers bite on that last year against New York. And not only that, um, but also just being really creative uh, combination of speed and power, um, different packages that they put in for the rush, which helped with the coverage and vice versa. Um, This was a very complimentary game in that regard. I thought James Bradbury, other than getting beat and kind of bailed out one time, um, I I thought he had a heck of a game against DeAndre Hopkins. And I really think that this secondary is is moving together in a way that it hasn't um, for the last several years because they're they're gelling with each other and there's consistency there and the rush is better. And so I think – those, all of those things complemented each other very well, including the preparation. And if they want to continue to move forward in this regard, um, they're going to have to prepare like that every single week. Um, they're going to have to weather, you know, whatever storm, this being, you know, KK Short being out for the year. Um, they're going to have to weather it. Um, but I think they can hang their hat on that a little bit, um, that performance on Sunday, because that, that really kind of showed what this defense is capable of if they can hit that high mark um, every Sunday. I know you'll love this fun fact. You've probably written about it. But in the 53-year Super Bowl era, only three NFL quarterbacks have had road wins in each of their first three career starts. And now Kyle Allen is on a list that also includes only Jeff Hostetler and Patrick Mahomes. So, of course, you're going to tell us he's either going to go on to win a Super Bowl or the MVP award. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> some, some describe the win over the Texans as, like, despite Kyle Allen and his ongoing kind of ball security issues. But, you know, he also played a huge role in beating the Cardinals. Where does he stand now that there's a chance? I mean, Cam said it could be November before you see me again. So how do you assess Kyle's ups and downs as the Panthers get ready to host Jacksonville? Well, I think he needed to have this game, to be honest with you. I think he did. Um, And I I really just think that this is a mental toughness game for him. Uh, Things looked very easy for him against Arizona and that defense, as we know, was just really lacking in a lot of areas. This was a hard defense, a really difficult pass rush to play against. And you really saw kind of a litmus test of where, of how Kyle can come back from, from certain things happening, including, I mean, my God, take the ball to your hands if you have to, I mean, my goodness gracious. But I think that, (laughs) you know, you saw what he can do at the very end when he kind of slipped underneath JJ Watts, grass, um, which J.J. Watt described after the game as very Cam Newton-esque, uh, kind of in a bitter, bitterly joking manner. Um, and I think that 
you saw what kind of a mindset every single guy on this team has to have right now. And, and I think on paper, a pretty adverse situation, missing your franchise quarterback, missing your two-time Pro Bowl, um, you know, defensive tackle, your team captain. Um, you know, that's something that they really have to be able to do is battle back from those adverse situations, and they have to have each other when they, when they need each other. And so the defense had Kyle – Kyle's back throughout the entire game. They bailed him out of situation after situation. And at the end, Kyle Allen uh, evading J.J. Watt and then completing that pass to Jarius Wright, that was him kind of having their backs in that moment um, as well. And so I think that if you, you never want to have every game be that tough on its players. Um, but I don't think they're going to come easy moving forward. Um, and I think that this is a, a good litmus test to see where they can be. I only have 30 seconds for this, Jordan, but – Every person I've ever met who uses the phrase goodness gracious had it bestowed upon them either by family members or a certain type of schooling. Which is it for you? Uh, my grandmother would be really mad if go. I were cursing on the radio. There you so. go. Good, goodness <laughs> gracious. It happened in the Glenn family. I'm just wondering where it came from in the Rodriguez family. Now we can say it's about grandma. Thanks for the visit and the expertise as always. Thanks. I appreciate it. Take care. Darren, you use that phrase, goodness gracious? Is that a Vought family uh, hand-me-down or no? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've used it before. I can't say it's a, it's a usual term. Man, I've got the me. double whammy. Catholic school upbringing and the Glenn family, my mom being a school teacher. I heard goodness gracious at home and I heard goodness <laughs> gracious at school. I don't think I use it a lot. Have you heard it from me? Goodness no, gracious. So. We're back after this on the David Glenn Show. If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. The football weekend, the baseball playoffs. Rod Brindamore of the Canes live in about 35 minutes. Free Canes tickets and your phone calls. I wasn't here yesterday, so let's get caught up together. We're between guests. You can be next. 1-800-849-2761. Maybe a question, maybe a comment, maybe a complaint, or maybe you want to win free tickets to the Carolina Hurricanes Thursday and or Sunday next. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop. After this, yeah, maybe join you on a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. <laughs> You're listening to The David Glenn Show.